Hello and welcome to the IC Companies and Markets podcast. I'm Mark Robinson, filling in for John Human, who's away on vacation at the moment. I guess um, most of our readers would have noticed a fair bit of comment in the financial pages this week in relation to the unprecedented uh, bull run, uh, which is about to reach its 10th anniversary in the United States, probably today, I think. And of course, it's interesting because the UK equities have been on a bit of a tear as well. The justification, the economic justification for outperformance in either case is probably open to question. Uh, it's true that in the case of UK equities, valuations aren't quite so stretched as uh, the benchmarks across the water, uh, though that largely reflects the high incidence of highly rated tech plays in US indices. Anyway, what we do know is that the market will snap into reverse at some point, but the duration extent of that correction is impossible to predict or quantify at this stage, obviously. But a feature of the stock market cycle, one that we'll all be aware of, no doubt, is that small caps tend to outperform during bull runs. Conversely, uh, unfortunately, they tend to suffer disproportionately when markets turn. Uh, so we've decided to dedicate this podcast to this end of the market, and our listeners will be glad to hear that we'll be speaking to the IC's Simon Thompson, uh, a market expert in this field. But for the moment, I'm, I'm joined in the studio by uh, Harriet Klarfeldt, uh, who's going to run over a couple of uh, this week's uh, tip updates. Hello, Harriet. How are you? Hi, Mark. I'm fine. Thank you. I guess we'll go over a couple of these uh, tip updates before we uh, segue through to Simon there. And at least one of them, I would think, falls under the uh, the small cap, or actually it's an AIM stock, but it's uh, of uh, a reasonable size. And we're talking about Traxxas here. Could you explain a little bit about the company? Sure. So, um, yes, Traxxas is technically a small cap. It's got a market cap of around £190 million at the moment, I think. Um, it's a transportation technology company, so it provides software and services to the traffic data and transportation industries. And that, that includes the rail network as well? It does. So um, it's split really into two business areas, and one of them is rail technology and services, and the other is traffic and data services. It probably doesn't sound that exciting as a company, but it's actually already outperforming market expectations. Well, I'm sure when, when we're all sitting in traffic at some point or waiting outside Sutton Station, yeah, the you might feel... we can at least track this. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, they're making the industry a little bit more exciting. A little bit more efficient, hopefully. Yeah. And that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying to help companies in the space improve their service offering to customers. The news this week was basically a pretty good trading update from them for the full year. Um, they've said that revenues will beat market expectations at around 40 million, up 16%. And then they also expect cash profits and adjust adjusted profit to come in ahead of expectations and ahead, obviously, year on year as well. And so the shares were marked up on this news, I take it? Yeah, the shares were marked up, I think, nearly a tenth on the, on the day. Um, and they're about a third above our original tip? They are, exactly. Um, so it's all looking pretty good. And um, I think more broadly, you know, we see Traxxas as a company which there's really good demand, um, not just in the UK, but overseas. They've got a good North American operation. Um, so obviously a diversified offering as well. And um, a pretty good net cash position. I think net ca they had a cash balances of around £22 million at the year end. So yeah, there's, def there's definitely a, uh, a structural growth story there because exactly. it feeds into the whole Smart Cities program. It does. And actually, um, I think we learnt last year they made an investment in a company called Vivacity Labs, which does sort of data analysis in smart cities. It's a sort of data provider for smart cities. 
So there's that angle as well, which is very interesting. Yeah, well, certainly the uh, the, the tips done well up to now, and we uh, we can see there's there's further uh, growth opportunities in, in this space as well. Yeah, probably a little bit uh, difficult to value, uh, but but we, we have seen uh, there's been at least a couple of um, markups from uh, yeah from the sell side. Exactly. So um, I think FinCap is an example of a broker which has actually lifted its earnings expectations for 2018. I mean, still Traxxas is trading on quite a high multiple, but as you said, it is quite difficult to to value it really. I think it was at 28 times forward earnings um, when we wrote the piece. Um, that said, you know, we have seen really strong momentum. So for the time being, that does to an extent look justified. I mean, in the past, Traxxas had, has had some issues. And I think we mentioned this in our original tip. There was a problem with the um, Department for Transport's rail franchising competition timetable. And that did have a bit of an adverse impact on Traxxas's revenues last year. Well, but Traxxas it, was, was essentially reliant on this process going it, through. It had been a bit too reliant, I think is how it okay. felt. But um, they actually ma- managed to soften the blow last year. Um, and by last year, I'm not talking about the year for which the most reading, recent trading update was for. Sure. But um, it it managed to soften the blow by focusing on other project wins. And, you know, it has sort of seen, I suppose, the error of its ways in that in that sense. Okay. Well, it's, it's certainly one to watch there. Um, the other company that we'd uh, focus on today, I know it's, uh, it's a firm that you're pretty familiar with, Keyword Studios. Yep. So Keyword Studios is quite a bit bigger than Traxxas. Yes, um, it doesn't really fit Yeah, it's not really a small cap. Um, But it's over a billion, it has a market cap of over a billion now. And um, Keywords supplies technical services to the video games industry. And um, the news this week was that it has acquired something called Gobo. I hope Mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly, which um, comprises two sort of subsidiary businesses called Studio Gobo and Electric Square. Um, the deal is going to be worth up to £26 million, which actually for keywords is quite a lot. When you, It, it is a very acquisitive company, but keywords, I think most two most recent acquisitions before this were around £1 million and £10 million pounds or euros. I can't quite remember. But it, okay, they're just buying software licenses, essentially. W- well, they're sort of buying businesses which will complement their own, okay. typically. So Gobo should um, enhance keywords video games development capabilities. And it operates globally. It's based in Brighton and Hove. It should sort of help Keywords Engineering Service Line, which is something it's been focusing on. Um, I mean, this does follow on from a string of quite interesting news from Keywords. So it launched its own investment wing a few weeks ago called Keywords Ventures. And it's obviously just seeking out growth wherever it can. It's sort of momentum is probably the operative word yeah, yeah, again another a stock that's very difficult to, to, value, to value by conventional yeah. uh, metrics i get i guess looking people looking at cash flows for one for one thing exactly the rate of sales growth but a lot of that's bought in as well i know john Ru will regret not being in the studio he had a, a misspent youth in this uh, this area of the market yeah he enjoys video games talking about video games yeah he, he does it that but the, the tip has performed uh, pretty well considering that was pitch when uh, february of- uh yep it, i think we first tipped it in february and um it's up about 25 percent a quarter so. which is uh, good going so um we, we're still confident going forward still confident going forwards i mean as you said you know it, it is highly rated it's difficult to know how to rate it but increasingly we are seeing other video games companies in the market so we've got sumo group which is also one of our tips um there's frontier development so at least we have more and more companies to compare it to on the okay. London market. All right, Harriet, I think that will um, that ties all that up for the moment as we just 
segue through to uh, Simon now, who's waiting for us in his uh, Kent readout. But thank you very much. Thank you. We're uh, happy to be joined here by uh, Simon Thompson, who our, is, one, is our small caps expert, and he brings a great deal of expertise in other areas as well. But Simon, uh, trimmed and tanned, terrific, back from France. Did you enjoy yourself? I'm, I'm definitely tanned, and I definitely enjoyed myself. So uh, um, it's um, it was fantastic. The trim is open to question, though, given uh, the cannon <laughs> bear and, and claret. Never I, mind. I think, the, I, I think the trim has been open to question for the last few years, to be honest. So. <laughs> Not to worry. Uh, as I've uh, mentioned to the listeners, we've dedicated this week's podcast to uh, uh, talk about the small cap market and specifically uh, the dangers posed by any. Um, near or medium term correction in markets. I mean, you would have noticed yourself this week the number of articles in the financial press about the unprecedented uh, bull run in the States. Which I think is going to continue, by the way. I do. Um, I, I, I do, and that, that's important for the simple fact that the, um, the 2009 bull market started from the States. The problem for the bear markets was States um, completely with um, the subprime crisis and mortgage crisis, and um, if you're going to take a view on global equity markets, you've got to take a view on the U.S. market, since it's the largest one, and also the fact that um, there's a little statistic which people really don't pay much attention to, but um, a bear market um, always happens in tandem with a recession, and that means a U.S. recession too, um, and it also happens when there's been a spike in the oil price. And at the moment, the US economy is growing at 3% this year. Um, every 1% of the um, GDP growth in the US equates to about 3% um, earnings um, growth thereabouts. So the US economy growth this year is worth at least 9% of EPS growth alone in the States. Yeah, I guess um, we can say that the oil price has stabilized, but you wouldn't uh, characterize it as a spike. Well, I mean, obviously, if you look at the chart from um, 2014, um, when it was roughly $100 and it had been flatlining for, for months on end, and then it collapsed, um, started 2016 to about $27, and now it's bounced back to about $72. You say, well, okay, you've had a significant rally since that low point, but um, I wouldn't classify it as the type of spike that's been accompanied with bear markets in the past. And I've studied bear markets quite extensively in some of my books. And um, I, I, my own personal view is that the, the value in the oil price hasn't ended. We, we're just a consolidation stage at the moment. Well, I, I guess you could say as well, when you look at the US too, a lot of the, the stimulus uh, measures being brought through by the Trump administration, specifically relating to uh, the infrastructure development in the United States, those have yet to gain congressional approval. Uh, likewise, I think, I think the defense budgets have, um, have got the nod from Congress, but the, the, the rise in aggregate demand that these, these would underpin, that's, that's yet to th- really flow through to the U.S. economy. I mean, what we've seen so far is a stimulus based on uh, his tax reforms. No, absolutely. But it's, it's also interesting that um, the highest growth, if you look at the um, S&P 500 um, EPS figures for the Q1, Q2 quarters this year, the highest growth has come from the tech sector and healthcare and financial. And also those, those sectors have performed rather well as well this year. So um, 
if you take the view that the U.S. economy, the 3% growth rate this year is not going to end anytime soon, and basically 9% of the earnings growth that's embedded into the 20% earnings growth forecast for EPS and the S&P 500 this year and next, half of that is actually just GDP growth alone, um, then you've, you've got a situation that you can see earnings actually continuing to rise and to put the valuation into some perspective. Um, I, I think I made the point uh, in last week's magazine as well, if you, if you do strip out solely the, the tech stocks from the U.S. industries, then uh, the rates of earnings growth seem far more realistic when, when set against uh, the company's performance itself. So I, I guess it's, um, it's not exactly a two-speed market, but I, I think if you're looking at the U.S. economy as a whole – it's worth just looking at the effects once you strip out of the, you know, the, those massive growth tech stocks. No, I could completely agree on that. Um, well, you've also got to bear in mind that if you look at the global indices, 23% of the global indices are actually tech, tech stocks. Um, so it's, it's not a small sector alone. So, you, you know, you, you can strip it out, but, you know, it's almost a quarter of the global indices. Um, but... In terms of the valuation, um, you know, bull markets basically peak, peak on excessive valuations. And at the moment, the S&P 500 is trading on roughly 20 times historic 12-month trailing earnings. And if you look at forecasts for Q3, Q4, then, you know, it's good. And into next year as well, then, you know, the forward multiple on a 12-month basis is roughly 17 times embedding 20% earnings growth. And as I said, half of that earnings growth is actually just coming from GDP growth alone. Um, so I'm, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's people. People are getting carried away with the fact that this this bull market is now, you know, the longest running. It's exceeded the 1992 thousand dot com boom. Um, markets. Um, well, there's been um, any number of comparisons made there too, and, and both you and I are old enough to remember uh, what happened then, but the circumstances are, are vastly different now, I'd have thought. Well, well especially because the, the tech talks now make decent profits. You know, some are very, very highly rated, but um, they are profitable, whereas, you know, back then... Uh, it was, it was just, just a jamboree giving out script left and right just to uh, to finance the thing. There was no value. Was, there was no conventional valuation metrics being used for many of the, the, the startup companies then. Nothing in the way of uh, cash flow or, or, or profits. No, I mean analysts were actually making up terms. So you know, EBITDA, so loss yeah. before interest taxation <laughs> depreciation became became one of the buzzwords then, and it's it just plainly ridiculous. Whereas whereas now we're focusing on actual profit growth, um, very strong profit growth. Um, and given, you know, the, the size of the U.S. economy, um, you've got to make some pretty big assumptions about this week being the top of the, the bull market. Yeah. Um, and as I said, recession, oil price high, um, those two are major ones. Um, I, I can see this actually running. Um, and if it's going to run, that's actually good for European indices. Um, okay. going into the autumn um, because, you know, what happens in the U.S., you know, has a knock-on effect to um, the rest of the world, um, and which is why I'm actually, you know, still positive on on U.K. equity market in specific areas. I, I guess the the one imponderable uh, is linked to interest rates. Now, the, the prospect is that they'll firm up over time, but they're still at uh, historically uh, low levels, so that mightn't be uh, such an issue as some people have made out. Um, 
Well, again, if you if you look at the US, its ten-year bond yields are two point eight three percent, and looking at the screen at the moment, and that's about twenty-five basis points above two-year bond yields, so the yield curve is pretty flat. Yeah, um, that compares with one point nine percent forward dividend yields in the S and P five hundred. So you've only got an opportunity cost of less than one percent between ten-year bond yields and uh, the dividend yields. Um, to actually make through capital gains uh, by buying an index tracker on the S&P 500, which in terms of opportunity cost isn't a huge one when we're looking at earnings growth over the next 12 months forecast of 20% and you know, with a realistic possibility of pretty strong growth in Q3, Q4 this year. Um, oh, there you go. Equities are still looking good in that base. I, I guess uh, you know after the years of... Uh, uh, QE, a lot of the old uh, assumptions uh, no longer ap- apply. But what I d- did mention um, when I started this podcast is that uh, during uh, bear markets, um, small caps tend to suffer disproportionately, but of course the converse is also true. They, they tend to outperform when markets uh, are rising. Now, uh, with, with that in mind, um, I know that you're, you see that the uh, UK small caps you describe this as a, as a two-way market at the moment. Could you expand on that a little bit, please? Right. I mean, totally. I mean, if you look at the best performers, worst performers this year, it's never been uh, more market. That if you look at the um, the FTSE Small Cap Index, you know, your worst performance is just horrendous. You've got the likes of Countrywide, Carpet Rides, Mothercare, Dudnums, anything with a retail focus is, you know, in the top 10 worst performers. And some of the losses are horrendous. 60 to 80% of the share prices since the start of January. And, you know, there's a sound reason for that, um, that the, these companies um, are not only fighting um, cost pressures, but they're, they're fighting consumer that may be a bit wary with, you know, the Brexit um, negotiations ongoing in March 2019 looming. Well, well in the case of Countrywide, there's well, surely a catalyst there is a technolo- technological change as well, because I think they've outstretched themselves trying to uh, predict how that market's uh, going to unfold. Well, 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 exactly. And it's, you know, it's not the only player that you've seen Foxton's as well yeah. um, being absolutely hammered. Admittedly, that's got a high percentage of London exposure to, um, to sales mix, and uh, so it's actually heavily geared to, you know, the top end of the London market. But, um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you that, you know, technological change has has impacted, um, you know, that company. And, and there were some fairly um, specific inter- uh, issues with Countrywide as well, uh, having a, a former chief executive with no res- experience of uh, the real estate market. It doesn't help. It doesn't help, does it? <laughs> <laughs> As bad as that market is, I mean, you know, it, it, it sort of, it, it's linked to what we were saying before. I, again, you could say countrywide and, and everyone in that space, and they've been, obviously been affected by the downturn, particularly in, in London, but they're also fighting technological change and uh, all the evolution. So you always get, um, as we say, these tech companies are building and building, but you always get value destruction as well. In a, in a sense, you could say it's part of the normal evolutionary uh, uh, processes of business. Which comes to comes to my next trait of the um, this two-way market that we're seeing in small caps. If you look at the, the leaders in the uh, 50A and 100 index, um, up there, top is Blue Prism, which is artificial intelligence. Um, I remember covering this stock when it floated back in 2016, 
interviewed the directors in the summer when they had the major results and you know it's a 60 million pound company i thought wow this is this could be really exciting but i'd like to see this company you know land some contracts which you know it's done again and again and again since then well the stock price isn't a pound which it was back in the summer of 2016 it's 21.50 it's now a billion pound company and that's because people have got really excited about artificial intelligence and, you know, the uses in the financial sector, banking sector. And, but that's not the only one. You know, there's other companies like software companies up in the, you know, top 10, top 20 list of the best performers this year. Um, the other take for me about it is that you've got companies like Burford Capital, which is litigation finance, which, you know, stock price up 63% this year, ongoing re-rating there, and, you know, it's done incredibly well. Um, yeah, I think barely a month goes past now without a new entrant to that market. We was just speaking to uh, Harriet Clarfeld before, and it's an area that she's uh, that she's fait with at the moment, and that, that is a building sec- subsector within the economy. Well, exactly, and the, the interesting thing there is you've got the you've got demand for it. Um, that's the most important thing, um, and you've got untapped demand because up until you know the last few years, it's been U.S. litigation is where it's all been focused and where they've made the money. Um, but if you actually open it up to a wider audience, and you know, as has happened in the U.S. Well, well exactly, exactly. So. Um, which comes to some of the traits I actually look for for, for companies in this two-speed market. First is a technological bias. Um, second is some overseas exposure, so it's not all UK domestic. Yeah. Uh, th- thirdly, pricing power. I'm looking for barriers to entry as well, which protects profit margins. Um, and I'm looking for some decent operating leverage. So earnings per share profits will actually increase faster than sales growth um, as, you know, a higher proportion of the gross margin and actually drops down to the bottom line as sales rise. Um, and I'm looking people, I'm also looking at companies that do well in a low bond yield environment because, you know, okay, US interest rates, 10 year bond, bond yield curve is 2.83% and it's about 1.26% in the UK. Um, but by historic standards, that's very, very low. Um, so if you're looking at companies that are growing their earnings strongly, in an environment of relatively um, low growth generally domestically, then people will actually focus on those companies and um, warm to them. And um, that, that's, that's what's happened to those. Um, I mean, the, the other interesting thing is that I've noted that on the leaderboard as well, you've got like the Ferro Petroleum, Hurricane Energy, which are all price plays um, rather than technological plays. Um, so in effect, they're actually playing the global economy at yeah. the oil price, and the fact that the oil price has done so well this year is actually telling you something about the strength of the global economy, um, which in turn is telling you something about how this bull market is is going to run. Um, well, so the optimism is the is the call of the day by the, by the sound of it. Um, well, I don't have a shortage of actually finding decent companies. Guard of optimism, we'll say. <laughs> I mean, it takes time to do so, but um, but especially in the tech sector, you know, in the recent weeks, I've written about Bioquel, which is a biodecontamination company. Um, it's done fantastically well. It's got 80% of its sales overseas, so it's benefited from sterling weakness, but it also it's benefited from structural demands, um, increased regulations, etc. Um, companies like Cape Technology, that's cybersecurity, 
well, you know, cybercrime is never going to go away and people are going to increasingly look to protect their um, data. Um, BATM, Advanced Communications, they, they've got results next week. It's, it's a favorite from last year's bargain share portfolio. Shares doubled, but they're doing some smashing things. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's lots of small cap companies out there that, you know, have got decent pipelines of business, uh, which de-risk their earnings. They're benefiting from overseas exposure, so it's not all UK-based. Um, no, I'm quite positive, Mark. And a number of them as well are in uh, markets that have got, uh, as you say, these these underlying structural growth drivers as well. So even if there is a slight reversal in the economy, uh, in proportional terms, those markets are going to expand. It's interesting, really, because we vol- volatility uh, returned to markets at, uh, at the first quarter of uh, this year, and and there's been prevailing economic uh, certainty, I guess, uncertainty, I, I guess you could say. But you, you've highlight, recently highlighted a, a contrarian view of this as well, because the ec- economic uncertainty has led to... Um, well, it's led to deferred investments, um, especially in certain areas of the UK, um, um, industrial sectors and um, service sectors, um, as you know, home investors and global investors sit on sidelines, wait for you know, an outcome around Brexit. Um, the contrarian view there is that if we do actually have some form of amicable Brexit being delivered, then the, un- the unpredictability we've got embedded in valuations at the moment will unwind. Um, you'll see companies and the boards playing catch-up by actually committing to investments. And that's going to see, you know, a rebound in UK GDP. I mean, GDP isn't bad. It was, you know, 1.7% last year. It's going to be you know, roughly the same this year for the UK. Okay, that's lagging behind um, the US. And as I said before, you can actually see how GDP growth actually translates into earnings per share growth for corporates. But if we do actually have a decent Brexit and, you know, we've got seven months to actually do a deal then the relative valuations that we're seeing at the moment, I mean, UK stock market is close to the historic lows that it's not seen since the 1990s uh, when you actually compare it to other world markets. You know, the, as I said, the S&P 500 at the moment is trading on 20 times trailing earnings for 12 months to end of June. You know, the, the UK FTSE 100 index is six, seven points behind that. There's always been a gap, but I mean, that's, that's an extreme gap. And, you know, you can do the same calculation if you look at the Russell 2000 index um, or small caps in the U.S. against, you know, small cap index here. Or, um, so it's not just the blue chip stocks that are um, trading on historically low relative valuations. It's, it's also some small caps as well. That's interesting. So we've got a lot of um, potential capital that's being locked up at the moment, uh, a sentiment uh, this side of Brexit, looking at things in the whole. How do, how do you characterise a small cap market at the moment? Um, there's bargains out there. Um, I, I remember covering a few weeks ago, 1PM, it's a finance company that lends to small, medium-sized enterprises, and you know it's, it's delivered record profits, it's trading on about seven, seven and a half times earnings, it doesn't have any balance sheet worries, delivers a decent dividend yield, low price to prove value, and you know if, if you're willing to take the view, contrarian view that I've just outlined, that you know Brexit will actually you know be sorted come March next year, then that stock is not going to be trading in seven times earnings yeah. Yeah. Um, in twelve months' time, and it's, it's not the only one. But there's also 
other companies that are doing great business overseas. I mean, for the author report I produced um, started last week, I was absolutely blown away by the number of co- um, companies this, this small cap is talking to, high percentage of which are actually overseas. And it's, it's, it's doing doing deals globally. Um, yeah. and that's, that's not just one company. So th- th- there's lots of small caps, overseas exposure, benefiting from you know the growth in the global economy, also benefiting from currency tailwinds as well. Um, so, you know, the doom and gloom bits, you know, um, we've seen for parts of this year, uh, which is one reason why the UK stock market has, you know, relatively underperformed its US peers. You know, the US stock market's making highs and, you know, we're not back to the highs made back in January. Um, I think the doom and gloom is actually overstated. And okay. We, we could have a positive outcome in the, um, the autumn. Well, it's fantastic. Well, listen, thanks very much. I do actually know which alpha, uh, which stock you're looking at for the alpha reporters there, but uh, I'll keep stum for the, the time being. That's about it, uh, Simon. So thanks very much for your contributions there on that uh, small cap debate. Other than uh, Simon's uh, take today, uh, this week's magazine contains uh, some thoughts on uh, Z scores by Philip Ryland. And there's a rundown on the uh, subprime credit market by our banking correspondent, Emma Powell. And Alex Newman is actually taking a look at the showdown between uh, North Sea producers, uh, Ferro Petroleum, and Norway's uh, DNO. Uh, and there's much more besides, obviously. But for now, it's goodbye from Simon, Harriet, and yours truly. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.